Have you ever wondered what it's like to sit in on a magazine editorial meeting? Well, this is your chance. You're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, a monthly podcast where our editors, writers, and staff dig deeper into stories, chat with newsmakers, and talk amongst ourselves about arts, culture, food, music, politics, or whatever else might strike our fancy. After all, we are Utah's biggest fans. Hello and welcome to Salt Lake Speaks, Salt Lake Magazine's own podcast. You can find this and other episodes at saltlakemagazine.com slash podcasts. I'm Ashley Zanter, Associate Editor of Salt Lake Magazine. Today I have Kristen Clay, Creator and Director of Story Tours with us. Thank you for sitting down. Yeah, thank you for having us. Okay, so just starting off with a, uh, a pretty broad question here. Is Utah haunted? I think everywhere is haunted, <laughs> but it's kind of fun because Ogden is one of the most haunted cities in the United States. Is that true? It is. Oh, so now I'm weirded out about living there. <laughs> I, one, one merchant told us that if any of the shop owners tried to tell us they don't have a ghost, they're either lying or oblivious. Oh, interesting. I'll have to so. pay a little more attention when I'm on 25th. Right. Because, I mean, you guys you guys do ghost stories. You right. do ghost tours. Right. Right? So ghosts have to come from somewhere. Right. So what are some of the better ghost stories? Well, I'll say they're so concentrated, like you said, on 25th Street that every single store has one. Um, when I first started the ghost tours, I didn't really believe in ghosts. I didn't think anyone was lying when they told me their stories. I knew something happened. But I would just think of, you know, Hamlet, there are more things under heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophies, until I met my first ghost. And that was in Ogden at the Ben Lomond Hotel. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> One of our storyteller, Laurie Allen, was standing at the bottom of the grand staircase because during that time, it was under renovations and they would let us bring the whole bus load into the lobby and we would tell the stories right there. And as Laurie was telling a story, one of our guests came up to me and said, can you imagine this place in its heyday? And we started talking about how beautiful it would have been and just the architecture and, and the way people would have dressed. And I said, you know, as a matter of fact, there's a story of a woman who was seen coming down these stairs all dressed to the nines. And right when I said that, a man who was at the bottom of the stairs clicking photos on his camera yelled, I've got something. So we ran over, we looked in the camera, and sure enough, we see a woman on the stairs, all dressed to the nines. She had a shawl, she had this, it was beautiful, this woman. And the rumor was that she was Macy Eccles, the wife of Mariner Eccles, who was one of the owners of the building when, in, when it was still young. He's the one that named it Ben Lomond Hotel after Macy's homeland in Scotland, the Ben Lomond Mountain Range. And so I thought, wow, it could be her, but we don't do any stories unless we know or it, it's substantiated somebody has to experience or we have to get a little more information so we just said there's a woman then about seven years later I was doing a, a tour with a small group and we had gone up by the ballroom and one of the ladies said I would really like to have pictures of ghosts in my camera and I told her well the ghost hunters told us if you want a picture ask the ghost just like you would a person ask him to be in your photo just politely ask yeah. to be in the picture so the girl stood there and said Mrs. Eccles, it would be really cool if you'd be in my photo. And she took a picture into the mirror next to the ballroom. And we're walking across the street there on Washington Boulevard. And she says, I think I've got something. I look over and I see the flash. And I said, I think it's the flash. And she said, no, look again. So when we stopped at the side of the street, I look again. And sure enough, over to the side, not even where the flash was, was the exact same woman I had seen coming down the stairs seven years before. 
Now I know it's Mrs. Eccles, Macy Eccles. So now every time I go in there, I say, hi, Macy. <laughs> we consider her one of our ghost tour friends. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I can no longer say I don't believe in ghosts. Okay. So you were skeptical when you went into this. <laughs> I was. I loved the stories because I always say you don't have to believe in ghosts to enjoy a really good ghost story. Mm -hmm. And now I believe in ghosts and still enjoy the story. <laughs> <laughs> so how frequently do do people on your tours capture stuff like that? I would say probably 60% of the time something happens. We Our tours are very authentic. We don't fake anything. We don't spray lavender or we don't invite evil spirits or anything like that. So anything you experience on our tour is authentic. All of our stories, we have interviewed the people. So they're all first or second hand accounts or one or two are historically documented, but of course no one's living to mm -hmm. substantiate. And so our stories are filled with history as well as the ghosts. We've done so much research on who they were in life if we've been able to identify them. And sometimes it's been psychics have identified their names and we've gone back and done the research. So all of ours are, are authentic. So when things do happen, they're real. Nothing is fake or Hollywooded up. How do you work with psychics? Well, we just ask them questions when they come along. We we'll say, hey, what have you experienced here? We find out who have been there. So we don't necessarily take them along, but they're just a fun source to interview. Okay. And so we, we've decided, as storytellers, though, when we do interview people, we take everything as at face value. That is what they experience. That's their story. So that's what we, we take that. However, for the history part, we do try to substantiate it with research. Okay. But as far as the happening and the ghost, we accept each person's version of what they have personally experienced. Have you ever had a more creepy experience? Yes. <laughs> In September, last September, so 2016, okay. every year we go around to all of the sites on our tour and, and other buildings too, places that we don't have the stories, and we ask them, what's happened since we were here last? So last September, we were at the Whiskey Street Bar and Grill. We do a Whiskey Street tour because uh, it's on Main Street, it's the portion of town that Brigham Young dubbed Whiskey Street because there were 47 saloons there. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was the separation between the, they called them the Gentiles and the Mormons at that time. So we were at the Whiskey Street Bar and it was pretty late. We had been collecting stories all evening and we collected some wonderful stories and one of the barkeeps had told us that a woman had told them that she had felt something in the back area of the building. And as we walked, I was with storyteller Nanette Watts. And as we walked back, we both stopped. We said, whoa, we feel something really strong. And as we went into the restroom, too, we could feel a really strong presence. Now, I have to tell you, when we started ghost tours, I was not sensitive because obviously I didn't really believe. But now, oh, I can feel them left and right. I don't need one of those little machines or anything. I know when there's a presence. So we go in there, we're thinking we're okay. And, I'm washing my hands at the sink and all of a sudden I feel a whack right on my behind. <laughs> and I said, Nanette, um, I don't think we're alone in here. <laughs> and she was still in the stall. I turned around because the first thing I thought was that the stall had hit me. But I've been there for quite some time washing my hands and the stall was perfectly still in its spot. Now, as a woman of a, of a certain size, I'm still trying to decide whether I should be frightened or flattered. <laughs> <laughs> One of those things. You know, as you walk through that bar just to get to the back, you're bumping tables and chairs, mm -hmm. and so you bump, 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 you don't think anything of it. So my first response was not to think anything of it, and then I realized I'm standing there with no one around me. 
then you think something of it. Yeah. So you totally got hit on by a ghost. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to decide if that's flattering or frightening. <laughs> <laughs> One guy a few weeks ago that was on our tour, he goes, you should be both, both. <laughs> I think he's right. <laughs> Do you have an, a, a, a particularly popular Salt Lake-based story? Oh, our, our, I think our favorite as storytellers, because it's so full of history and modern phenomenon, would be the story of the ghost um, of John Baptiste, who was a grave robber. Oh. Um, when the pioneers came into the Salt Lake Valley, of course, one of the first things they had to do was establish a cemetery. Any settlement needed a cemetery. And they hired a man by the name of John Baptiste. He did not come with the pioneers. He was here with um, some of the explorers and mountain men, and, and he was in the area. Well, his he was the first grave digger. And they said he was a not particularly noticeable man. He was quiet and kept to himself. Well. His story would have gone unnoticed if it wasn't for another story taking place at the same time. The government were worried about what they perceived the power that Brigham Young wielded in this area. So they wanted to send a representative from the federal government to come and be the territorial governor of Utah. So they sent a man by the name of John W. Clausen. And he came in, didn't do much to warm the hearts of the the God-fearing people here when he showed up with a mistress. <laughs> Not only did he show up with a mistress, but he um, was very inappropriate. And the straw that broke the camel's back. Did he back. swat you on your behind? No, but he swat other ladies <laughs> on his behind. And he made inappropriate advances of the young Mormon widow <laughs> who had said chased him out of the house with a fire poker. And I've decided politicians haven't changed. <laughs> Turn on the news and you hear the same stories. <laughs> but. Um, Word got out, and they he was ushered onto a stagecoach and on a mail coach and sent out of town. But he was bragging about his exploits. See, politicians don't change. <laughs> and the stagecoach driver happened to be her cousin. And when they stopped along the route, they beat him. He was beaten so bad that he was crippled for the rest of his life. And Porter Rockwell, who was the sheriff at the time, knew they had to take matters into their hand. Well, this man had hired two bodyguards while he was here. And this being the wild, wild west, um, a gunfight broke out. And these bodyguards were involved in the beating as well. And so in pursuing the, the attackers, a gunfight broke out and two of the young men were killed. And so one of the men, his name was Moroni. Oh, I get Dawson and Clausen mixed up. <laughs> Nickname was Roni. But anyway, he was buried there in the city cemetery. But these are cowboys and ruffians, so they were filthy dirty. And they cleaned him up and the sheriff with his own money bought this young man a suit and he was buried. Well, a few weeks later, the mother had sent Roni's brother to come and get him to take their body back to their family plot to be buried in Sweet Creek, Draper area. So mm -hmm. they came, they dug him up, they opened the casket, and the brother was shocked because what he saw was Roni thrown in there, stark naked, face down like a rag doll. Well, he was infuriated, so he said, Something has to be done. I demand an investigation, duh, of course. So <laughs> the cemetery is surrounded. They have surveillance. And they see a man pushing a wheelbarrow with a naked body in it to an open grave. They jump out, and the sheriff grabs him by the neck. And it said they had to pry the sheriff's hands off his neck. And the sheriff was yelling and pointing with his head to an open grave, or not an open grave, a newly 
uh, buried grave. Did you touch that grave? Did you touch that grave? And he said, I swear, I swear I didn't touch it. And finally they were able to pry the sheriff's hands off. Well, the grave that he was referring to was of his daughter. Well, people started flowing to the cemetery and unearthing their loved ones. It said he robbed over 350 graves. Well, Brigham Young, this caused such a, an uproar that Brigham Young had to call a special conference. And he chose not to unearth his loved ones. And in the conference, he guaranteed the saints that their loved ones would be resurrected fully clothed. Well, he was then taken to city or Salt City Jail, which is, let's see, down there, <laughs> Salt City Jail. And a mob gathered outside. And the mob were demanding that he be hung. He'd be lynched. They were furious. But this is a, a, a young territory trying to become a state. They had to follow laws. And they just, they can't just lynch a man, even though his, his, his crime was so heinous. So what they did is they backed a milk wagon up, pretending to deliver dairy supplies into the, the jail, snuck him on it, and they took him out to, they were originally going to take him out to Antelope Island, but decided he could escape. So they took him out to Fremont Island. And there they gave him a some supplies, built a shelter, and left him and told him that they would return later to check on him and bring him more supplies. Well, when they returned, his shelter had been dismantled and they found a carcass of an animal there, a deer. And they never saw him again, or did they? Because hunters and other people, sometimes along the south shores of the Great Salt Lake, will say they see a man walking around carrying a wet bundle of clothing. Now, when we first heard that story, it sounded more like urban legend. We had a young man who was attending the University of Utah from out of state come on our tour and hear the story. And then his mother and father came to visit him, and this was during finals week, so he's in school studying, and the parents, like all good tourists, go out to Antelope Island. And it was dusk when it was time to leave. And as they were driving around the South Loop down by the ranch, the Garfielding Ranch, the mother said that the hair on the back of their necks and arms just stood up and her and the dad looked over and they saw a man walking along that road and he looked destitute and, and distraught and the mother said should we stop should we help him but they were just chilled to the bone and and the husband said no there's something not right we're not stopping but the mother couldn't stop thinking about it because she's worried that they might have left someone who needed help there and when they got back and they met up with their son they went out to dinner and the mother told him what had happened and the son said, oh, I think you just met the ghost of John Baptiste. <laughs> and he came on our door again to report what had happened. So now we know that that I, I urban legend is a real story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just started feeling it. And it's, it's just, you know, that story got kept getting weirder. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could make up something that crazy. I was just like, you kept going, and then there's grave robbing, and then there's dead animal carcasses and lynching. <laughs> and I'm just like, that story had everything. You know, over the years, other things have happened. There was uh, a body that they found it's in the Jordan River that had a skeleton, and it had a ball and chain on it. But the sheriff at the time said, no, absolutely not. That is not John Baptiste. They did not do that. Now, what they did do, though, was they wrote on his forehead, it said in the paper, with indelible ink. So we believe it's branded or tattooed, grave robber. Mm -hmm. So that no matter where he'd go the rest of his life, he would be ostracized. Okay. So it, 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 even that part was weird, too. So. A lot of these stories seem to take place, uh, you know, in Utah's, like, really early days when things were sort of wild and really distant, you know? Right. Do you have any more contemporary stories, things that might be a little closer to home? Um, 
Well, we interviewed someone a couple weeks ago, one of the shops in Whiskey Street, the Bodega, and we haven't substantiated the history of this, but it, I'm going to do some research on it. The young girls who work there at the bar say there was a hanging in the basement in the 1930s. Now, there was a lot of mob activity. A shop owner next door to them said that his shop was originally owned by members of the mafia. Clear out here in Utah. So gang activity, Al Capone, I mean, all these characters are still part of the Utah Wild West. Yeah. You'd think we're so far away, but they're so strangely connected. And so there, they had a hanging there in the 30s, and they call him the hanging man ghost because Ooh. he seems to kind of just hang over them with his arms out like he has been hung, and they get kind of creeped out by him. And then they said about a decade ago, another man who was a graphic artist, he was, I believe he's 52, and he died of a heart attack in that same building, and they believe that he is also one of the ghosts, and they fill him sometimes and see him, and he's a fairly friendly ghost. And then next door in Salt Lake Book and Magazine, uh, it's owned by a man named Pete. It's been in their family since mm, 1916, this business. And they have probably our most contemporary ghosts, mm -hmm. actually, going down the street, or yeah, thinking of these buildings, including his brother, Skip. He's a beloved ghost. We love Skip and he's very helpful. He, um, People will come into the store and they'll be looking for something. He said two girls were looking for this rare medical book that was out of print and he kept telling them where it is, but that store is a little confusing if you don't know your way around. So they came back up to the front again and he was helping someone else and pointed them back. And they went back and they came right back instantly. And he said, oh, you found it so fast. And they said, yeah, that man handed it to us. He got it out. Oh, they described him and it was his brother Skip. So a very helpful ghost. And as we were there listening to stories and talking about a ghost who sometimes knocks things down, a big pile of papers went boom, <laughs> as if the ghost was saying, I'm still here, pay attention to me. <laughs> Do these ever creep you out? Or, or Well, I think that was the Because you just seem thing. so, like, nonchalant about it. I'm sure it's because uh -huh. of the exposure, but, like, mm -hmm. if, this, if, if that happened to me, I'd be like, you know what, I'm out. I think that's <laughs> one of the funniest things about it. There were five of us sitting there, and I was like, oh the ghost <laughs> and we continue with our conversation because I think you know I decided I'm more afraid of the living than the dead okay. walking down the street at night I'm more afraid of you know the strangers than I am of a ghost mm -hmm. so and I found that the Hollywood ghost is not that real mm -hmm. these ghosts I believe most of them were people that lived and died and they just want to say here I am listen to my story I'm still okay. alive and as a storyteller we love that so you compile these stories just by talking to people and right. then trying to substantiate them? Right. We talk to them and then we spend a lot of time researching historical society and interviewing. So your stories are constantly evolving? Oh, every year. We started out with one tour. And by the next year, just people coming on the tour and then telling us their stories, what mm -hmm. they've experienced. Oh, we expand some more and expand some more to the point where we have so many stories that we have to break up our tours and each year we do it a little different just to accommodate all of our evolving stories. Oh, so, so if people want to, um, you know, participate in this, if, you know, they, these were just a couple stories and they wanted to mm -hmm. hear all the stories, what would they do? How do they, uh, how the do they do this? The best thing to do is go to our website, www.storytours.com, or they can call us at 801-888-8551 and set up reservations. We are available all year round. However, we have a schedule during October. So of course. It, we're scheduled during that time. They call and book a tour that's already existing. And the rest of the year, we're available for any group of four or more. 
Okay. In Ogden, Salt Lake. And we ha also have hysterical history tours as well. <laughs> What's that? Hysterical history. It's stories like, like John Baptist Teese the Grave Robber and stories in especially Ogden. You know, Al Capone <laughs> who comes in and says, this is too rough of a town for me. He refused to walk the streets without a bodyguard. This is the biggest gangster of his generation. But um, So we tell a lot of those stories that okay. aren't quite ghosts, but they're so fun that we just need to tell them. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us today, Kristen. Oh, it's been fun. Thank you creeped you. me out. So <laughs> Wonderful. That's our Successful. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for tuning into this episode of Salt Lake Speaks. Be sure to find this and other podcast episodes at saltlakemagazine.com slash podcasts.